What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 33 of My Social Life. And before we jump into today's conversation with Tim Hyde, there's a couple things we need to go over first. Number one, if you enjoy today's episode, make sure you leave a rating and a review. It helps more people find the podcast and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here. And if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe to stay tuned for future episodes. And to everybody listening, make sure you screenshot this, post it on your Instagram story, tag at my social pod and I'll feature you on the account and send you a message as well. Now, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Tim Hyde. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. And today I'm joined by Tim Hyde. Tim is one of Manchester's 30 under 30. He was the 11th employee at both the Lad Bible and Social Chain. He is now a founder. He has his own company called TWH Media. He's done so much more than that. That's just a quick summary. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I need you to do my intros everywhere I go. <laughs> Hey, I, I, we'll see what we can do. Um, so I kind of want to start this question, this interview with kind of like a two-pronged question. So first, as someone in Manchester, how did you become a Liverpool supporter and how do you feel about them falling to second in the Premier League standings? Um, so, looking back at it, it's definitely taught me a lot. I mean, growing up around here, being a Liverpool fan has definitely helped me in the business world. Um, dealt with a lot of heartbreak over the feel like I'm slightly wedded to it. Yeah, that's fair. But growing up, sports was a big part of your life, correct? Yeah, massive. Um, huge, huge sports fan. Um, I mean, watching anyone doing something at a high level, I, f- I find fascinating. Um, we were very average at, at sort of football, soccer growing up, but I, I played lacrosse. Um, we're super fortunate to, to play for England um, under 19s level. Um, and we had, actually had the World Cup in, in Manchester. So that was an, a, an amazing experience. And, and sort of, you know, you can look back and sort of see all the skills you learned from participating in sports and, and just sort of that work ethic and, you know, passion that you have for sport has definitely transferred into kind of all the areas of, of my life anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious as to how you found lacrosse. How did that all come about? So, yeah, I mean, um, very average sort of athletically. Um, could always run for a long time, but never the quickest. And, and so football, you know, the pick a pass, but was, was pretty average and, and quite competitive. So I found that kind of frustrating. Um, and my next door neighbor, um, they have had basically like college coaches or ex-college players coming over to the UK um, and played um uh, in the uk and sort of taught in schools and they actually live next door to me and so you know we, we have a massive wall outside my house where we just basically threw a lacrosse ball against you know sort of got into it fell in love with it such a fast-paced game yeah sort of 15 years of playing was a had a had a great time yeah that's awesome so what are some lessons kind of that you've learned through playing sport that you carry into the business world today um, I think knowing how to communicate with um, different people in different ways. You know, you've got you've got you know um, leaders in a team that you know you don't you don't really need to say anything to. You've got some people that you know might need a quiet word. You've got some people that you really can't you know be too sort of aggressive towards because that's not in their nature. And so, um, especially I think in, in the sort of space over here, um, you know, playing with all the people, having relationships with people from different backgrounds and different ages was, was, was something that, you know, I, I enjoyed actually and has massively helped me kind of moving forward. And then the, the second biggest thing was sort of, which I, I really didn't realize until later in life was, you know, really putting in the work paid off. I kind of always thought, you know, there was some natural skill there, but actually a lot of it, you know, when you look back at how I was at school, you know, didn't put in as much effort as I did to across and rewards in lacrosse because I put in those extra hours, extra training, extra, you know, gym sessions, things like that. Whereas in school, it was kind of the bare minimum, what can you get away with? And, you know, you look at the different results and that, yeah, very, very different. So, yeah, getting out what you put in is definitely something I, I learned from sports. Yeah. And then your original intention was kind of to make sports almost a part of your career because you wanted to be a sports journalist at first, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, that's hilarious. I think growing up, we all always have aspirations and I was so into sport. Um, I did a few internships, sort of 14, 15, 16, um, at, at a newspaper club in Southampton Football Club down south. 
Um, really, really enjoyed that. Just enjoyed the, the kind of gravitas around high-level sport. And, and yeah, you know, was a, an average writer um, and, you know, had a feel like I always had a good eye for a story. And that was that was definitely what I wanted to do, leaving school. And, yeah, um, things definitely turned out a little bit differently. Yeah, can you talk about some of those internships and placements that you had? Because I believe I heard you talk about one time you were working like 100 hours a week unpaid. I did so seen. Um got okay results but but still quite average and basically just got this amazing internship and opportunity to do my national journalism exams and and, and then basically instead of paying for the course you just work there as an intern and the read that was actually funnily enough the reason I had to give up playing lacrosse was because you know Mondays were 8 till 10 p.m and um, because the course was sort of after the full working day then we had I think um it was a Monday Wednesday Saturday um working you know eight 12 hours kind of a day unpaid um you know living off my parents was living on a very tight budget i remember the days of not being able to go to a bar or a pub and, and really afford a drink um and, and that was just the reality of it but um i was i was quite fortunate that i knew that that was my you know college university very intense but a short period of time and, and that you know it, that wasn't easy that was some rough times just from a you know living standpoint and I actually worked in an office on my own and um, there wasn't enough space for me in the real office so I just worked in a room on my own for kind of 10 to 12 hours a day um, which, which was a steep learning curve um, and, and yeah when I then got a job that I actually enjoyed I you know really didn't take that for granted and long term that's definitely kind of paid dividends. Yeah and then so how did you keep going working a hundred hours a week in a room by yourself like what was it within you that allowed you to keep going? Ooh, I don't know I mean maybe a little bit of fear um, you know really um, I think one of my strengths and weaknesses I, I definitely care far too much what people think about me um, and I, I kind of would have cared the fact that you know um, only a base level of qualifications no university degree and then basically going into another would I'd have to find another career this was the, the quickest and best route to, to get to where I thought I wanted to go so I think it was just a, a logical thing just sort of having to bullet and understand that it, it wasn't going to be perfect right now but this kind of investment and and you know putting up with all that shit in the in the short term was going to was going to be the right decision for my career. Um, I, I just had that mindset and that that certainly motivated me and, and, and carried me on through some of those tougher times. Yeah. And one of the things I've heard you talk about that you learned there was that you were watching. So you were working 100 hours a week, but you were watching people work 120 hours a week. So what I mean as well is like there, there were some people who were, you know, older than me, people with master's degrees who were also concerned, and they were actually having to work part-time jobs on top of this hundred hours a week job or finding way to make a living and, and survive and I, I was astounded by that and, and also what I kind of really saw was the people that were putting more into their craft you know getting there early staying late putting in those extra extra hours to get up to that you know 100 120 hours a week which which is actually crazy and yeah. um, it was they were they were improving far quicker than I was and, and you could just see it you know even over a three-month period um, not necessarily saying we got like graded, but you could see the quality of the writing and the story, the actual, you know, quality of the layout, layout codes and the more technical things that you kind of learn by practice. These guys were far ahead of me. You know, I didn't want to get left behind. So I just needed to kind of up my work game. And again, yeah, when you find something you actually start enjoying. Um, yeah, it was it was much easier kind of after that point. And it was shortly after there that you ended up at the Lad Bible, correct? I did indeed. Yeah very fortunate so how did you how did you get a job there so i got a job there and um, basically the um, in um manchester there was a graffiti artist called axi um and he painted this amazing amazing mural of the breaking bad kind of scene um so it was a heisenberg mural super super lifelike um, and it we, we wrote a story on it and and it was actually really controversial because it was just round the corner from where there was had been a big meth lab bust so just sort of people in the comments, this was only a very small website, you know, really blew up kind of thousands and thousands of, of comments and, you know, did really, really well. And basically that story helped me and helped the website. And, and what happened, you know, after that, he did a second mural, which was um, actually in the Lad Bible offices. And it was the, um, it was kind of a, a picturesque painting of a Louis Vuitton advert with Pele Maradona and 
I think Zidane, but I can't I can't quite remember. Anyway, three famous soccer players, football players. Um, and and I was I would just keep kept asking him, oh where, you know, where where is this mural? Like it would be a great story. And he told me it was in uh, it was at the Lad Bible's offices and I basically I tracked down where where that was and had no idea, you know. I you know, you thought it was sort of a kid in a bedroom. You didn't really think it was a, a legitimate business at this point. Um and met the the CEOs Gary and uh, and Gaz and, and Solly, sorry, um, and and yeah, they we got on really well. The story did very well, and two months later, they offered me a job. So that that's kind of the the luck I needed to to kind of get into this field. Yeah, and then while you were at the Lad Bible, you experienced like a ton of growth over that period. I think I have written down here it was something along the lines of like one point eight million to nine point nine million likes in around ten months. Yeah, something like that. That was just on Facebook, and then obviously, and I mean, for the business then, we we were so Facebook reliant. And um, I think a lot of these media publishers still are, but back then, you know, that was driving. I think sort of ninety eight point five percent of traffic, um, which equals pretty much ninety eight point five percent of revenue at that point. So, you know, gaming the algorithms, understanding, you know, that balancing of content. Um, we really sort of created a format that that has definitely been utilized around the world. Of, um, you know, basically boosting that organic reach, building the momentum, dropping a, a kind of article so it sort of has all this sort of reward in, in the algorithm. And basically we're able to, one, grow the social channels rapidly and also sort of grow our user base and, and, and grow the daily traffic massively as well. Yeah. And then I think we don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but I think I saw somewhere that you went from being employee of the year and then a couple months later you ended up getting laid off. Like what happened in that period? I did. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, that took me a little while to be kind of confident enough to kind of speak about. Um, I think, uh, you know, young internet companies um, that can be, you know, really high staff turnover, some for just reasons, some for unjust reasons. I'm, I'm always kind of, you know, although I kind of look back on it and think, and, and that was my first job, so I could definitely have, you know, handled myself differently, handled different situations differently. Um, you know, I was... I was pretty shocked that, that that came and, you know, um, however you can look back on it kind of positively because of all the, the great stuff I did learn and it unlocked more opportunity at, at social chain. But, um, yeah, I was pretty, pretty shocked at the time and that was a real hit to the system and, and, and took me a long while to, to kind of get over, um, you know, I, I naively thought I would have been there for the rest of my life and, and loved it and loved the team and, you know, managers happened, but, uh, it is what it is in the kind of savage social media world. Mm-hmm. And then um, one of the things that I saw you write, I think it was on LinkedIn, is that from your time at the Lad Bible, you're good at understanding what will resonate with people and finding viral stories. Do you have any advice for people as to what they should be looking for when it comes to content like that? Yeah, I think so. I think what something that I've always kind of really championed is, is putting yourself in other people's shoes, whether that's, you know, putting yourself in a 35-year-old woman's shoes, how do they resonate with a specific bit of content and you know, understanding and reverse engineering the content uh, from the audience you're targeting has, has really, really helped. And, you know, I think it, it comes down to just understanding, you know, what's your elevator pitch? What are the buzzwords? What are the, the kind of metrics that people, you know, can just hear and, and understand quickly? And, and I think that it's just over time you kind of learn what people respond to and um, yet you get better every time. So just sort of practice makes perfect, but, you know, can you honestly say if someone tweeted that in front of you, put that headline in front of you, would you read it? Or can you frame it differently so you would read it? And kind of just understanding and playing with that as a concept, I think it can, can work really well um, and help people optimize their content specifically. Mm-hmm. And then so after, shortly after the Lad Bible is when you ended up at Social Chain, correct? Yeah. Yeah, so how did that opportunity come around? Literally, um, you know, the, the team was in Manchester. I'm obviously from Manchester, so very lucky that it, that it was local and, um, they were they were looking for kind of a, a junior sort of social media and, and sort of writer kind of hybrid position and basically sent an email to, to well, to the kind of contact form at Social Chain. Um, it was answered by now um, a guy called Ash, who's one of my best friends, um, sort of four or five years later. Um, and, and yeah, basically came in for an interview and um, got on really well with Dom and the team and um, sat in this tiny little co-working space office um, in the center of Manchester, which is kind of even more crazy, the fact that Social Chain now own the entire building. Um, and we were, you know, when I got there, it was, you know, shared by three different businesses on these kind of white collapsible tables um, and just a group of kids. And 
yeah, I mean, being part of that journey has, has definitely been one of the most special things I could have ever asked for. The amount of learning, the amount of life learnings, the, the great people. Um, yeah, it was, you know, feel very blessed that I, I was I was part of that, and and you know, hopefully can continue to do some some cool things. Mm-hmm. And then from being there in the early stages, looking back, would you have predicted it to have this amount of success so fast as it has? Um, I think in some parts, yes, and in some parts, no. I think, you know, Steve, to this day, is one of the most phenomenal, brilliant, smart, driven people I've ever met. And and him as a CEO and a driving force of the company really is a a recipe for success. Um, And so, yeah, I think as a team, we all had faith in each other. Um, And a reference a lot that that internal and, you know, first 15, 20 people at Social Chain were really phenomenal. We also, and and they also had this massive advantage of having, what, something like 300 million followers worth of, you know, free media accounts. And so you combine that with, you know, viral marketing, good marketing knowledge, a good understanding of the social platforms and and content, then with sort of great amplification, you know, who, who can argue with that? And you know, some of our first case studies were, you know, driving 2 million downloads to an app in two weeks. And, and you know, we worked with Spotify very, very early on. We worked with ASOS very early on. You know, having those big brand case studies behind us, definitely, you know, we just had to walk into sales meetings and, you know, pitch honestly rather than having to oversell. And I think that's a, a definitely a formula for success that I've tried to take forward in. <clears throat> and I, I saw, I think you were the head of campaigns at Social Chain and you worked with company, massive companies. Can you give us uh, some examples of some of the companies that you've worked with? Yeah, so I, I, I yeah, very, I mean, very lucky. Um, and, and also due to the size of the business, you know, um, rose quite quickly, became um, head of campaigns so looked after everything strategized and, and executed, um, as well as helping out a lot of the, the offices in New York and, and, and Berlin as well. Um, and yeah, so sort of Apple, Spotify, Nike, Adidas, Puma, Google, Amazon, um, you know, Sony, P&G, Head and Shoulders. Yeah, um, did a lot of consultancy for UFC, Eurosport, ASICS. Um, there's, yeah, crazy, crazy brands when you kind of kind of think of it uh, and, and some amazing opportunities and, and some great business connections. And um, yeah, definitely a, a very cool experience that I'll, I'll never forget. Yeah. So do you have any like tips or advice for people that are dealing with large scale clients? Yeah. And um, I think the vanity metric definitely will normally help you get more business. Um, it, it's just the way of the world, that social currency, that annual, you know, people are interested in the fact that, oh, you know, you work with them. What did you do? Can you do that for us? Is, is a great um platform to, to go off in, in kind of a pitch what i'd also say is you know typically um the, the, the success of a campaign comes to do, like comes down to putting the work in doing the one percent things and the buy-in from the client you know especially when it you know typically in social media it's not an area where most clients and, and you know cmos marketing directors ceos have a huge amount of experience and they really need to you know trust in a specialist the fact that they're going to do the best for that business and, and for that campaign. And so, you know, working with big brands is, is, isn't easy. You know, Apple, um, just on the brand guidelines, there's like 16 layers of sign off just because, you know, that branding is so amazing. And, and that's one of the reasons why. But, what, you know, when you want to do something that's fast paced and reactive on, on social and it has to go through 16 layers of, of sign off, you know, that's, that's definitely more difficult. And so depending on the client, it depends on the relationship, depends what you're going to get out of it and, and depends on a lot of factors. But, um, you know, I think, you know, skipping forward a couple of years, my favorite clients aren't necessarily some of the biggest names. It's just, just getting to work with people that you think are brilliant, you know, people that in their own right, you learn from and enjoy working with and have a great you know, working relationship. And, and, and then usually, you know, again you know getting to create great results for people is also you know super rewarding so i think that combination is actually better than oh it's just apple music or it's revolut or it's warner or whoever and it really comes down to the sort of more personal approach to the client management i think and then looking at almost like the other side of that do you have advice for people that are just starting and how they should go about trying to land their first client oh first client um i mean for me it's always been pretty straightforward i just had you know case studies behind me so I could just sort of present a logical business case I think if you're just starting off whether it's in you know social media marketing digital marketing you know PR branding whatever it is I think you have to you know provide value up front or or understand that you need to get um get on the wagon and and, you know never try and never work for kind of free but 
adding as much consulting hours, whether that's, you know, doing a few different mock-ups even before you've got to the pitch, you know, trying to do those 1% things, I think will, will really, really help you close some of those first deals. And then after that, you know, it simply is just going, right, we did a great job for them. What did we do? And building that business case for your other clients and trying to sort of live that within, a, within an industry is, is super important. And I think that, that's um, something that I've told lots of friends who've now started their business, you know, understand your niche, a great business case, and, and then, you know, pitch it as honestly and authentically as you can, you know. Um, I've always believed that, and, and how I try and do sales, you know, I'm, I'm not this sort of North American sales guy going to, you know, Wolf of Wall Street sell you this pen. It's more, you know, if I was in your position, honestly, this is how I would spend your budget. Like, not trying to make as much money on margin as I can, like, this is what I would do, and this is what I can do it for. And then, you know, you win something, you lose something. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's fair. And then as another thing that I thought was very interesting from your time at Social Chain was you helped build the nine most engaged live streams of all time, I believe. That was when Facebook were really pushing live and actually doing a lot of outdoor advertising themselves to sort of get publishers using the, the kind of service. And, you know, when basically a lot of these social platforms bring out a new tool, um, it's usually kind of leveraged and, and higher ranked in the algorithm because they want, you know, advertisers and early adopters to get to get the most out of that tool and we really kind of jumped on that and found out a way that you could kind of stream really effectively multi-cam streaming um and also have these communities we could amplify you know really great and engaging scenarios on and we, we kind of found a mechanic and a formula that um went super super well and we're able to have a hell of a lot of success and a lot of happy clients from that can you like? Can you tell me what it was like to get over two million comments in the course of two hours? It it, it was insane. I mean, uh, from a a metric standpoint, it was really great. Um, the guys at the Soul Supply, I still have a, a great relationship with. But I mean, actually, the the stream itself ne- nearly broke a couple of times. So we were just sort of so nervous about keeping this high quality um, production value. Um, and you know, internet connection, um, electric, electrical problems. Um, so yeah, it was probably it, it took a few days for that to kind of sink in because you were sort of so um, in the moment of right. Let's just not screw this up. Um, you know, great momentum. I think they grew. You know, something like eighteen thousand followers on Facebook within that live stream as well, and um, they were able to then sort of really leverage some of the sales off the back of that social currency. And I think that just proved to me that. You know, with a great idea, with great distribution, you can have a lot of impact on, on social, and, and, and that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people today, or now in 2019, when it comes to live streaming? I'm just a huge believer that if you're providing value to your audience, and if you're creating and a confident, it's good content, put it out there. You know, people get very you know caught up on optimal posting times and optimal you know amount of posting, or is you know is the branding on this live stream good enough? Now, you know if all of those things are, are correct you are more likely to be successful but don't stop it stop you actually you know executing on that i think that's one of the important things um but yeah i think it comes down to understanding your audience and are you adding value you know you know, you're not creating this podcast just to sort of get some airtime for yourself you know you're trying to think you know if i was in you know a random entrepreneur or someone who's interested about getting social what would they want to see what are the stories what are the people you know you're you're reverse engineering from your audience not oh, hey, I want to meet this guy. That would be really cool for me. And, and, and I think that, that as a premise is, is really powerful. And from a Facebook Live standpoint, you know, aren't the easiest things to grow in the world, but as a consistent conference, can, can work really, really well. Mm-hmm. And then I think it was, i sorry, I'm just jumping completely to a different topic here. But in 2016, I believe you accepted a Pacific North Award on behalf of Social Chain. Oh, Pacific North. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was a, a great evening. Lots of, lots of alcohol and celebration that was a, a very cool year yeah how did you get to be in the position where you were accepting the award on behalf of the company <laughs> um i i think i mean at social team we we won a hell of a lot of awards we we did some really cool work um you know i think steve was tired of going to a lot of award ceremonies and as a, as a way of rewarding the hard work of staff because i mean we worked some really long hours i think you know some of the senior team went to this um, awards night and and yeah we were there with with some of the sort of founding team me Michael um I think Alessia was there um and, and just sort of five or six of us and 
went up and accepted the, the award and kind of just said, you know, how incredible it was to just sort of be here as a bunch of overlooked kids because, you know, originally in that first year we were kind of overlooked for a lot of these awards and you know, the industry um, doesn't necessarily like disruption um, like that. And, you know, it just, it just felt like a very cool moment to sort of share that with some, some great people. And um, yeah, it was, it was a very cool experience. Yeah. And I kind of want to talk about Steve specifically. What was it like working for him with your time at Social Chain? Um, I mean, amazing, to be honest. Uh, an amazing experience. Um, there's certainly no one like him. He's, he's incredibly busy and is, you know, balancing an incredible amount of plates and people and relationships and contacts. And, you know, it's, it, it's amazing he's, you know, continues to function at this sort of level. Uh, I think he's amazing. But... I think I just learned so much and he was so willing to sort of give, um, you know, insight and, and would always be at the end of a WhatsApp message if you needed anything or wanted to talk about anything. It wasn't always the lessons that he, you know, purposely chose to give. It was under, like working from his successes. It was understanding, you know, he, we thought, I thought you made a mistake there. So how would I go about a situation differently? And from a culture standpoint, I think that's where social chain have had their most success. I mean, it goes down to some of that, you know, um, original team, um, you know, Hannah Anderson, Alex Ayan, um, and they were able to create a culture where people have just wanted to improve. Um, we started off having this kind of like self-help kind of hour every week, bi-weekly, where people would, you know, talk about their favorite excerpts from a book or TED Talk. And although as you get super busy, that kind of tails off, what it did instill is the fact that people were always sharing updates and articles and um, different you know social platform modifications or great bits of content or advertising or hey I've just read this book does anyone want to borrow it and that kind of mindset helped improve everyone exponentially and I think I, it, you have to look at that cultural thing that Steve and Dom really you know set out and created and that filtered down across the senior team and, and, and everyone junior and has been a massive driver for their success and their continued you know success or, or success at the top. Mm -hmm. So it might be hard to quantify, but is there like three key takeaways that you took from your time working at Social Chain? Yeah, I think I think the first one, which was really sort of hard to comprehend at the time, was Steve was always like, it really doesn't matter about the money. Um, just sort of, you know, especially as a, a junior person in the business and a, and a young person, you know, it's right, next promotion, next pay rise, you know, how can I keep better in myself? And you want to do that aggressively. And we were in such an amazing industry that that was possible <clears throat> but what was really clear and I kind of only found out later is as soon as you get a level of financial freedom that that's really not what it's about it's about the impact it's about the relationships it's about working with you know interesting and cool people and, and he preached that from day one and although I don't think I took that on board as much as I should at the time you know that's been a real key thing from my mindset of just sort of it's about my happiness so when I go into, you know, find relationships and I think these guys are going to be pretty tricky here, is it really worth my time? I have the confidence to go, no, because my quality of life is so much higher without that, you know, couple of thousand pound retainer. Like my, but my life is better and focusing on, you know, quality of life rather than how much money I have in the bank account has been a real, um, a real key thing. Um, I think work ethic is, is definitely another one, you know, um, they really, you know, set the table on, on that one. Um, a lot of great times and great nights late in the office playing ping pong while working at a bar in the office. So a hell of a lot of alcohol is consumed but while working. And, um, you know, we bonded over a, a lot of those sort of table tennis matches and FIFA nights and things like that, but also sort of making sure we were getting our work in. So that's, that's probably number two. Um, and then I think, you know, I think there's, what I'd sort of collect the third in is, is all the intangible things. I think Steve really, for me, set out a framework of, of lots of opportunities that you can, you know, really take and the fact that you can build a life for yourself if, if, if you want it. And he is, you know, he had no experience in building a company and until he, he, he started Warpark and then Social Chain. And um, he just always was so driven to stay on top of trends, to stay on top of reading, to interact with people and be good to people and um yeah i think there was just so many mini lessons in that there wasn't necessarily another like third big thing it was just sort of really learning 
how he interacts with people um, was really, really cool and, and has helped me a hell of a lot. And I think a big part of your personal narrative is, and you've alluded to it a couple of times now, is the fact that you didn't go to university and you were always set on not going. So why was that your decision to not go to university? Um, just for the career I wanted. So um, just because I, I was looking to have some insight into the journalism industry at the time. Um, you know, my grades were, were okay, but pretty average. And just the opportunity in front of me presented itself and it, it seemed like the most logical thing. It, you know, it didn't, wasn't necessarily at the time like, oh, I hate university or I don't think it's useful, but what's the best path for me is definitely down this road. You know, now having perspective to look back on, I've been very fortunate to, you know, really learn what it's like to work in different businesses and, and you know, friends have had, you know, had three, four years of having an amazing time and having little responsibility and, you know, have some of the battle scars and great memories to show for it. Whereas, you know, I had to, you know, work pretty hard and um, it, it's a balance for different people, but um, I think university still has a place, but I think for anyone in, in social, um, you know, I think it's just sort of getting that experience and, and, and focusing on your self-development. Um, you're not going to learn as much from a, a university course there. Mm-hmm. And in terms of like learning and your self-development, the reason you ended up leaving social chain was to kind of improve your skills in a different aspect, correct? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what was really key at the time specifically is we were meeting a lot of CEOs, CMOs, and you could always tell where their background was, um, which was fine. But like we'd be in, you know, a six, seven, eight figure pitch and they would go, well, where's the SEO strategy? And, I, and we would just have to say to them, like, SEO is really important. However, that's not what we do. And, you know, you could always tell what their background was. Also, like, how does this combine with print? Like, print, you know, if you do it well, print can kind of work. But I didn't just want to be this kind of ignorant marketer that only understood one channel. And, and so going to TK was a great opportunity to, to understand how different mediums can integrate together. You know, it was, a, it was a, a great opportunity to manage people and learn on a global scale, um, which, which really, really excited me at the time. And, um, you know, I was able to just learn a hell of a lot about the different platforms, although, you know, I can't necessarily execute as, as a high level um, across you know, pretty much all the digital marketing functions. I still have a, a good understanding and can understand how to strategize for them which now going into what I do now is, is really, really important. And then now you have your own company, which I kind of mentioned in the intro. So it's TWH Media. How's that kind of going for you? Yes. I mean, yeah, it's, good. it's going really well. I'm, I'm extremely, extremely fortunate, you know, get to work with some huge clients still, some small clients still have some great and, and really exciting case studies and, and some sort of business wins that I'm super, super proud of. And and really, for me, you know, it, it facilitates the life I want to leave. You know, I, I, I get to travel a lot. I get to, you know, interact with really interesting people I can learn from. And for me, you know, what, what kind of more do I want? You know, people say, what's your next sort of five-year plan? And it's to really sort of continue doing this, you know, maybe scale up the financials, maybe scale up some of the bigger, better, more exciting case studies. But, you know, I'll be, I'll be a pretty lucky man if I can, you know, continue to, to do what I do now. Um, and work with some of the people I am now is I'm, I'm really, really lucky. Mm-hmm. And do you have a team under you or is it just you currently? So depending on the project, I have specific contractors, you know, me, my word is, is something that, I mean, to me is just so important. And so if I'm taking over a project or helping someone with something, I need to have a pretty established relationship with someone to go like, this is under my name. Like, please, can you execute for me? Like it's pay to play. If you do this, I will give you this money. No drama. Fantastic. But um, from an agency standpoint, um, you know, felt uh, at Social Chain and at TK, you know, helped scale agencies pretty quickly and had a great time. And I think one of my skills is having good perspective. And, um, you know, you look at Social Chain and you go, 2014, amazing time to get into social media. You've got Steve, you've got an amazing internal team. You've got 300 million followers of social media accounts. And that as a business, you know, had moments where you weren't sure if it was going to survive. And I really think that I'm a, I'm a good social media marketer. I'm a good marketer. I understand that. And that's what I want to focus on. Not, you know, HR issues, cash flow issues, worrying about the office space, worrying about the billion things that, you know, a real CEO has to worry about day to day. You know, I'm pretty selfish in the fact that, you know, this is my small piece of the puzzle I'm good at. 
I like to think I'm good at it. You know, I can do that for various different bits of different businesses. I can have a flexible working schedule. Um, and that, you know, really works for my my life right now. Um, but we'll see in the future. And I just want to touch on some other projects that you have going on right now as well. One, I believe you're an advisor for TrueFan, and you're also working with a company called Boida Box, I believe. Yeah, so um, I've been very fortunate to have had quite a lot of um, success on crowdfunding platforms, um, and Boita was one of the sort of last projects I, I had the fortune of working with, with a guy called Adam Boita, who is sort of ex-Perno Ricard, an amazing marketer in his own right, um, and we were able to collaborate on a, a really great sort of vegan leather um, and sustainable fabric sort of bag, bag project, which which has gone to market and, and, and done really, really well. So that was very cool. And, you know, with regards to the true fan, um, I got involved with that sort of 14, 15 months ago, um, helped sort of found the company with, with Manu Goswami, who's, you know, an amazing, amazing Canadian entrepreneur um, and honor player. Um, we were both sort of Canada's 20 under 20, far smarter than, than I will ever be. And we built this basically social media analytics tool, which aggregates your most engaged and most influential followers. Um, we've just raised a sort of million dollars through various angel investors, including a few sort of NBA players. Um, and, I, in, and as the team's now sort of relocated from Vancouver to Toronto, I've taken a sort of step back from, from sort of CMO and I'm now kind of focusing on more of an advisory role, introducing them to clients this side of the world. Um, and, and yeah, making sure I'm making the right intros and, and sort of being a, an ambassador for the brand that, you know, I, I, I worked on for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then one other thing that I heard you reference briefly, I think it was in another podcast maybe, um, is you're working on an early stage IG chatbot, I believe. Yeah, so I, I worked with a company called Direct Hero, um, another Canadian founder. I, I don't know why I'm surrounded by so, so many Canadians, um, but he's been working on that bit of tech for sort of two and a bit years um, and helped sort of advise him uh, around some of the sort of branding and launch strategy. Um, just before it goes to the market, um, that's kind of been a you know long-term project that's just sort of there in the background. But Jeff's a great guy, and you know if he gets his product right, the the sky's the limit for him. And I wanted to ask you, as with your expertise, what do you, like with Instagram automation? Because from my understanding, they're not a big fan of apps that come in and do automation. So I was just curious as to how that app or the chatbot's going to work. No, not at all. Um, yeah, definitely a gray area. Um, you know, there's there's opportunity in in the gray area, shall we say? So, um, I, I instead of actually calling it a chatbot, I think that the better way to describe it is probably sort of a an Instagram DM sequencer. And so, depending on the term that someone sends, um, you know, they'll get a specific response. So it's great for sort of customer service or you know lead generation by sort of taking one someone through a kind of automated funnel you know, the specific triggers and amounts that you can message people that, you know, keep you under the radar on that. And, and what I would say is, you know, it is sort of technically against the terms, but it's not something that's, you know, super automated and it's going to mess up their platform. So um, hopefully, um, you know, direct tales will, will be all right, depending on, you know, how Instagram wake up, what side of the bed Instagram wake up on. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of on the same page, how do you feel about those automated automated likes and comments systems that people use? You know, I, I think I think engagement is really a false currency um, these days. You know, it, it, it can be a great indicator for success on a post or a, a narrative or a niche. But really, you know, actually, um, in this day and age, we really want to be sort of engaging people on a deeper level and, and making them feel. Um, and there's different kind of social metrics you can, and, and tools that you can use to measure that rather than just sort of likes and retweets. Um, and shares um, you know as for sort of bot farms you know it's, it's disappointing it's, it's definitely you know caused a lot of negative PR around influencer marketing which you know can be a phenomenal channel for all ranges of businesses however um, you know when people are sort of cheating the system and you know have 80% of their following in Bangladesh that they've just paid for you know that that kind of screws up the, the system you know I Think something I think something does need to be done and there's there's been reports over the past couple of weeks that Facebook is going to start sort of suing these companies and and I think rightly so but you know I actually think if you have a good understanding of the social space you can really kind of identify you know specific influencers specific posts and specific channels that are you know heavily 
and leveraging bots and, and kind of fake likes and things like that. And it just means that as a, as a marketer and as a, someone who works in the social space, I just have to do that extra layer of verification to ensure that the channels that you are using are, are legitimate, not just sort of, you know, paying 10p for 10,000 likes. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just listed off many different things that you're involved in. So what does your schedule kind of look like on a week to week basis? Oh, I mean, it, it, it really depends. I mean, I, I suppose one of the, the great things is, or, although I've just preached about flexible living is, you know, for me, I, I, sometimes I have to do stuff and, and that can be, you know, one, two AM, that can be early morning, that can be, you know, middle of the day. And so what I really enjoy is the fact that every day is different for me. It's not get up, shower, get in the car, go to work or get on the tube or whatever it is. And, you know, every day is different and I can sort of mold my life depending on what meetings, depending on what deliverables, depending on what I think is best for that day. And also just because I have sort of longer working days, I can can usually get more in. And so, yeah, I mean, there's definitely not a split of like, hey, I'm going to spend an hour here on TreeFan. I'm just going to spend an hour here on this client. It definitely comes and, and ebbs and flows. And I mean, it's hilarious. I, I, I've always prided myself on on working very hard. But, you know, since having my own business, there's definitely been, you know, a random Wednesday where I, I haven't had actually that much stuff to do. And, you know, I think 18 months, two years in, I now have the confidence to go, well, if I haven't got stuff to do, I don't need to worry about that. You know, go to the gym in the middle of the day when it's quiet or, you know, go reward yourself by doing something out of the ordinary because, you know, there, there is a lot of that time where I am super busy and I am clogged up and need to work pretty hard late into the, the night or, or work around meetings. So, yeah, I think that's that's some advice I'm, I'm starting to give friends now is, you know, work around your schedule, but try and make your schedule work for you. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to pivot a little bit more to your personal brand and your personal social media. So you're sitting, I think, at over 10,000 Instagram followers right now. So kind of what are some things that you did to grow that account? Well, I mean, that was a lot of it was sort of hard work back in the day. And, um, you know, my, my Instagram has been pretty stagnant for the past probably three years, which, you know, on a level stresses me out a little bit. Um, you know, in, a, in an ignorant and arrogant sense, I think the content I post is, is pretty cool, but, but maybe it's more just too personal to me. Um, quite sadly, into quite architecture. I love to travel. I love to take pictures when I go away. And, you know, that's, that's a kind of content stream that I focus on. It's not, you know, business related or, or really focused on adding value to the audience. And so potentially, you know, if I was auditing myself, that's something I could do better if I wanted to grow it as a channel. But for me, you know, Instagram, I've always used it personally because I've, I've never tried to drive business through it. It's more of just a, a channel for me is, you know, do you remember when people kind of go somewhere? They might go to Africa and they'll have a folder of like 5,000 photos uploaded to Facebook. It's just like, mate, you are never going <laughs> to look at those photos ever. And, and actually, you know, I look at Instagram and go, I, I've got a pretty terrible memory unless it's prompted and I can go, oh, yeah. Yeah, that was amazing when I went to Copenhagen or Prague or Belfast or Budapest or New York or, you know, all these places. And it's, you know, that one or two, three photos or that, that highlight can just bring back that feeling and those memories. And, and that's kind of how I use Instagram personally, but, you know, not necessarily the best from a business sense anyway. Mm-hmm. And I did want to ask you about travel because just looking at your Instagram, you've been all over the world. Do you have any crazy travel stories? I always like to ask people that. Um, yeah, I've got a few and um, when we were at TK we got flown out to um, review and create content for a five-star retreat in the middle of Kenya in the middle of a 16,000 acre retreat in the middle of the Maasai Mara um, and we got to chase zebras on quad bikes you know this is 16,000 acres of private land and just got taken out and and just got to roam free um, and that you know over these amazing cliffs and hills and just beautiful terrain and you know, that, that was a pinch yourself moment. Um, I, I mean, there's loads of crazy stories from all the places I've been, but um, that I think stands out as just like uh, weird, um, but also amazing. Mm-hmm. And then also with your personal brand, I touched on it in the intro, you were Manchester's 30 under 30. How did that award feel? Um, I mean, it's cool. It's one of those things. It's, it's very cool to be recognized. And I think what's cooler is the, the social currency that comes with it. it, especially when I'm doing podcasts. It's definitely something that, that gets mentioned, uh, you know, in, in day-to-day life, you know, I don't think anyone's gone, hey, Mr. 30 and Mr. 30, because um, why would anyone? But um, I think, you know, cool to get recognized and, and, and it's definitely, you know, potentially helped get some awareness on my name and, 
that's great but kind of like with anything in business and i'm sure you find this it's like cool achieve that tick box what's the next thing you know it's really about the journey it's not necessarily i've got these stakes in the ground that i have to achieve before a certain age i'd quite like to do some cool things but my happiness isn't going to be decided on that it's really about right that was cool enjoy that in the moment cool what's the next thing how we how are we improving what's you know what's the next thing i'm excited about and that's that's kind of where my mind's at about anyway Mm-hmm. And I've also seen online that you do some keynote speaking as well. So what is typically like the topics of your speeches? Yeah, so um, I think there's definitely been some, you know, great social media masterclasses, really getting into the nitty gritty of, of how to sort of best drive acquisition through social media. I think that's what, personally, I think that's what I'm really good at, you know, looking at cross channel. It's not just, oh, hey, he's a Facebook ads guy. Hey, he's just good at influences. It's, it's, it's really understanding how you can create that omni-channel strategy and distribute that risk and make sure all these integrated channels are working for you under this sort of coherent umbrella and having sort of ran those type of campaigns for brands and create great results I think that's you know something a little bit different because you know I've met you know friends that are you know specific Facebook marketers that are spending a million dollars a month getting four or five times return on ad spend living on a beach and haven't got a care in the world Uh, the one that I'm about to do kind of most over the summer is you know, social media in the financial industry, um, typically working with a lot of VC funds, a couple of fintech companies, banks, and um, a few kind of alternative property investment companies, and really sort of showing how you can, you know, make money through social media for those channels on a cost per lead basis and, and also on a brand building basis. And I think that's something that is quite exciting for me because it's, it's not something that I don't think anyone's done very well yet. Mm-hmm. And another thing, so I was, as I was scrolling through your Instagram, kind of just doing some research, there's a couple photos I wanted a little bit more like context to. Uh, the first one was, I don't know if it was a selfie, but it was a photo of you and Conor McGregor. Yeah. Um, so that's Social Chain Days. Um, I, think, I think he did a couple of these over the world, but it was just a really candid um, interview and honest just talk with him. You know, he had his flashy and kind of arrogant Conor McGregor moments talking about other fighters but you know really deep down he's a very family orientated and an extremely intelligent guy um and yeah just getting to meet him after was was a very cool moment he's, he's definitely got an awe and a sort of sense of confidence about him that, that's actually very appealing rather than sort of feeling in feeling he's super arrogant and, and kind of a turn off Mm-hmm. And then it's, and another one was you were at the Facebook London office recently. Yeah, I've, I've done a few, you know, visited quite a few um, Facebook offices all over the world. The, the London one is, is definitely pretty, um, you know, they were definitely advantages of, of working at Facebook and, you know, got a couple of account managers there that, and had a friend who's a bit of an influencer who was going through one of their creator programs. And, and so I came in to sort of help him set up some of his sort of social channels and you know, those, those offices certainly, you know, motivate you and, and show what's possible. And then, so the last Instagram post was a photo of you in Gary V's office. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I got to live in New York for a couple of months um, and have some amazing connections and friends like Elliot Robinson, who um, used to work for Gary. I'm pretty close with a guy called Tyler Babin, who, who used to work on Gary's personal team. So mm-hmm. I had relationships there and, have, have, you know, working late and, and in that kind of work state of mind, worked out of Vayner a couple of times and, and been there and drank wine and, and ate pizza more than a few times, but never, unfortunately, met Gary. So um, very, very cool to sort of be in, in around that world. You know, he's really pioneered and, and, and led the way in the kind of social state. Um, and you're someone that has definitely made my life um, or, or provided a lot of opportunity for my life, um, whether we knew it or not. So one day I hope to meet him. But yeah, definitely, you know, those Vayner guys are a different breed and he's definitely cultivated uh, um, some very special people specifically on that personal brand team. Mm-hmm. And then the last, the final post is actually a Twitter post. It was $12 to build your startup team and you chose Beyonce over Gary and I was just curious as to the reasoning behind that um I mean there's loads of reasons one I mean actual you know real influence and star power um you know you can look at what is it Ivy Park compared to the K-Swiss collaboration um you know one selling hundreds of millions of dollars one might just do about seven figures so that's one um I think 
also just based on the functionality of my team, you know, um, a real leader from the front. And I think I was just looking at it from a balanced standpoint that, you know, he gives away so much free advice that, you know, you can use all of Beyonce's star power and, and, and nuance there and, and try and sort of pick away at Gary's advice for free. I think that was, that was kind of tactical. So that kind of half explains that. <laughs> that's awesome. And I wanted to ask you about LinkedIn because that's something you're really big on right now. Yeah, it has been for the past three years. Um, you know, LinkedIn's categorically changed my life, opened up some of the best opportunities that I've ever seen. You know, it's a, because of something like, what, there's 600 million users, something like 1% of those people post. You know, there's a huge opportunity for people to create and curate a, an audience on that platform. And, you know, one of the few social media platforms now that you can really generate organic reach and, and potentially even go viral. So, from a time investment standpoint, there is no better platform to build relationships and, and get your opinion out there. And because people are in that business frame of mind, um, you know, it, it unlocks business opportunities. Um, I think I've had something like 10, 11 million views on my profile in the past few years. And, and that's opened up opportunities, you know, would have never met Swish through TrueFan, um, would have never worked with Liverpool Football Club. I'm a huge Liverpool fan, so that was a great opportunity. You know, all these have come from creating and distributing content on LinkedIn and, you know, getting inbound leads or, or being connected to people through that. So 100%, I think everyone has the opportunity to really, you know, go all in on LinkedIn because um, it certainly changed my life. Yeah. Is there anything else in the social media landscape that you're kind of keeping an eye on right now that you're looking at as an opportunity? Um, I think Snapchat advertising, it, depending on uh, the product that you have and the audience that you're looking um, create for I think you know people are getting some pretty significant return on ad spend on, on sort of one click swipe up um, which is, is super interesting um, you know cultivating an, an audience on Snapchat is incredibly difficult and as a marketer I've been left frustrated by it on, on more than one occasion um, but I think you know looking at, uh, at distributing your, your kind of performance marketing you, um, and it's direct to consumer Snapchat's def definitely an area that people are really sort of managing to smash at the moment. And and the same with Pinterest, you know, Pinterest paid media platforms actually, you know, sneaky good is how I describe it. And, you know, it, it, if there's a lot of competition on these other platforms, maybe you're, you know, spending huge amounts of budgets on other areas. Actually, you can, you know, distribute a little into these other places and, and that might, you know, help uh, from a return on ad spend standpoint. Mm -hmm. I think the Snapchat's a really interesting one. Like I just personally have stopped using it. So it hasn't really been on my radar as of late, but I had an old professor do a post on Twitter where he like, he asked his students to put their phones down. I think it was a grade 10 class to put their phones down and not use them for an hour. And then they're going to tabulate how many Snapchats, DMs and texts they got. It was like maybe 20 DMs, 30, 40 texts, and then hundreds of Snapchats. I couldn't believe it. I mean, when you like really think about it, that's okay. It's actually quite normal. But then when it's like in this sort of, you know, kind of rough um, tally chart in front of you, you just go, wow. I mean, that's how kind of addicted we are to our phones. And um, you know, I thought that was a very, very cool bit of content. And and also, you know, nice little bit of market research for for me. <laughs> yeah. No. Definitely. Um, so what's next for you, man? Is what are some things you got on the horizon? I think I think for me since. It's, since sort of Q4 last year, um, the real um, focus and mindset is just being an, executing at a high level. I just really need to execute at the level I think I can, and I'll be very well looked after. You know, working in the kind of more financial industry, the upside's much, much bigger. And so if I can, you know, generate results there, there's there's certainly margin and opportunity for me there. So that, that that's the big thing, you know, not, not worry too much about anything else and really focusing on, you know, executing and, and doing what I say I'm going to do and you know, building hopefully a little bit of a niche for myself in, in this industry and hopefully can then, you know, rinse and repeat once you've got the case study. Yeah. Is there ever a thought to do like some of that investment side on your personal brand? Like I know you said Instagram, you don't really try to provide value, but would there be like a YouTube play potentially in the future? Maybe. Um, I think when it comes to video content, you know, I, I'm always nervous that I want to create something that I'm proud of, not just sort of the self-desk videos I, I find that uncomfortable um, I'm not saying that that's bad for other people I just think that's not who I am um, and so you know if that, an opportunity arose where you know had some good time with 
people that I've trusted to produce some good content and we had a good series for it. I think I'd love to be involved, but um, right now I think, um, you know, creating value and content posts and, you know, writing sort of longer form LinkedIn stuff is, is where my kind of value add content really goes. You know, hopefully later down the line, there, there might be some more video and, and, and potentially hopefully some more podcast stuff. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. What are some long, long-term goals that you're kind of chasing? Oh, um, I'd love to be Forbes 30 in the 30. Um, you know, I mean, actually, when you look behind the curtain, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. And, you know, people get on it for different reasons. But just growing up in the kind of era I did, I think it, it just to me, I think it'd be really fucking cool. Um, for mm-hmm. lack of a better word. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, financially, um, I really want to buy a house this year. That's the kind of financial target. But, you know, other than that, man, it's really kind of, you know, making sure I'm staying on top of my health you know, having a good work, work-life work balance, you know, continuing to travel and just really, if I execute on the projects I've got on now, I'm, I'm going to be pretty, pretty, pretty plain sailing for, for the next few years anyway. That's awesome. And now before we wrap up, I'd like to do just like a quick Q&A, just like random questions that don't fit into the regular interview. Um, first question, what's a show you're binging right now? A show I'm binging right now. Um, I'm rewatching Game of Thrones, um, if that's a little bit sad. Um, it's not a show, but I just watched the Michael da- Jackson documentary last night. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Um, oh, wow. Um, I'm really looking forward to Billions coming back. Um, like, I'm, I'm like set. I mean, that's just so well produced. HBO do such a good job with stuff like that. So um, I think from a TV standpoint, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's your favorite app that's not Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter? This is really sad. Expensify. Um, okay. And so um, if, if you ever have like receipts and uh, I have to do a lot of expensing is you just take a picture of it and it automatically reads everything, the you know, tax number, amount, and it like automatically goes into my um, accounting software. So that's just saves me so much time and um, means I don't have thousands of receipts in my wallet. So um, really sad comment, but yeah, that's been super helpful for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Are there any creators that you follow that you recommend people should go and check out? Oh, um, other than the big names, I think Steve Bartlett's podcast is phenomenal. Um, yeah, multiple times. Um, some of his sort of blog content isn't, you know, what I resonate with, but his podcast is is really, really good. Um, I'm working with a guy called Reggie Yates, who's a you know amazing producer um, in the UK. His podcast is really, really good. It's a you know really authentic sort of friends chat, and I think is a nice angle on that. Um, who else is content? Um, oh, I don't know. Um, you know what? Um, there's a guy called, um, oh, what's his name? Uh, Dave Perel. That's it on Twitter. Um, oh, yes. he's not this sort of like out there, flashy, um, wannabe entrepreneur, um, you know, wannabe millionaire, but. He's really cultivated an extremely strong audience, um, mainly on Twitter, to be fair, um, by just creating great content. And, and he's, you know, really doubled down on the skill he has, which is writing. Um, and I think he, he creates some really great stuff and some really interesting insights. So he's definitely worth a follow. Mm-hmm. I actually recently just started following him. So it's funny that you say that. Uh, next question. I know you said you don't really like every day is different, but do you have any consistent morning and night routines you try to do every day? I try, try and try and get the gym once a day, and you know I, I I I it helps me so much more from the focus standpoint. Um, I'm I'm really big on efficiency, so I like to do things you know when other people are working. So I much rather get up super early to miss the traffic, or I'd much rather get up later and miss the traffic and uh, and let people work. So um, I think I think that's the the real key for me is just trying to do everything as efficiently as, as possible, but. You know, if you're in a bit of a bad mood, a gym session can really change that. As someone who's traveled a lot and done a lot of things, I'm curious as to three things on your bucket list right now. Um, Japan, just like, so, I mean, that's the pinnacle for me. Never been, been to Singapore, but never been to Japan. And just from a you know, beauty standpoint, it, it, it's really got everything. So I'm going to try and get that. Um, I've never been business class. We'd love to do that at some point. Just, you know, see how the other half live. That would be you know, mini kind of throwaway thing. That'd be pretty cool. Um, traveling. Um, 
I'm going back to New York in, in June to speak at a conference. So um, it, for me, the, my favorite place in the world. It's just got a, an energy about it that I just find so um, amazing. And so, yeah, really looking forward to, to catching up with some friends. And just going back and experiencing a city in a way that you haven't before can be really exciting just as much as, you know, other opportunities going to places you've never been before. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I just recently went to New York for the first time and it's just, there's something different about that city. It's incredible. Uh, next question. So you're going to dinner and you can take three people. They can be anybody dead or alive. Who would you take to dinner? I've got a controversial answer for the first one. Okay. The first one because if he turns up, then you know, and if he doesn't, you know, so that's, you know, that, that's kind of that one for me. Um, Ooh, who I would take to dinner? Um, I think Elon Musk is, is pretty fascinating. Um, you know, just a real unique perspective. Um, big fan of Obama and everything he kind of stands for. Um, getting too political. Um, I just think, you know, how he carries himself and his ideologies are, are really interesting. And he's had a very unique perspective on the world that I, I'd love to ask him a, a, a few questions about. What's the last one? Um, probably Gary, just because I've never met him. Uh, just as a social media nerd, that'd be a, a pretty cool one. And it'd be interesting to see what questions he would ask the other people. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. He's, you know, I've known very well and, and they speak so highly. You, know, you don't have to love every bit of content he creates, but you have to respect a lot of the things about him. And, you know, one of the things I actually say a lot about Gary is, you know, people really try and emulate him and just copy him, you know, at face value, whereas actually I think you get the most value out of Gary when you sort of take his learnings and then apply them to your life. And so I massively believe that working harder means that you're more likely to be successful. You know, the more the harder you work, it puts you in a better position to be successful. Um, but, however, you're never going to succeed if you're working on a project which is the Uber for, for umbrellas. You know, it's just a totally pointless concept. And so, you know, don't just think, okay, I want to be a keynote, I want to travel the world, I want to be like Gary. You know, what are the kind of micro learnings that you can take and then apply to your life straight away? You know, he has an, like an insatiable appetite for entrepreneurs, uh, entrepreneurship, which I don't think is, you know, I don't think anyone could achieve that. Um, but what can you learn? You know, how can you apply that to your life and how do you make that work for you? And I think that's that's one of the best things that I took from from both Gary and Steve. Um, I know you might have hit on this a little bit, but what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Um, sorry if this cuts out. I'm on two percent battery, but um, I think the best. That's okay. Um, I've ever had. Um, be a sponge for information. Um, as you know, not not a sexy quote, but you know, when I was sort of eighteen, working at Lad Bible, Solly sort of we were sort of talking in a room after a night out. Um, and he just said, you know, constantly, constantly be learning, you know, constantly be looking it up and soaking it all in and not just sort of taking a, a meeting at face value. You know, you wouldn't believe some of the intangible bits of advice you can get, you know, walking into a sales meeting and sitting on opposite sides. So it's not just crowding the other thing, you know, that they aren't people, they aren't things that people teach you. They're things that you have to sort of understand. And so just looking at everything as an opportunity to, to get better. Um, you know, life's not going to work out perfectly, but you can always learn. And being a sponge for information has maybe not been the best advice I'd get, but something I always remember. Mm-hmm. And we'll try and fly. We've got two questions left, so we'll try to fly through these before your phone dies. What's one thing so important everybody needs to know? Um, happiness equals success. You know, people put a lot of it on monetary value, financial things, you know, that they have a beautiful girlfriend or boyfriend, but but actually, you know, happiness, if you're the happiest person in the world, you're the most successful person in the world, you know, being being able to look yourself in the mirror and be happy with the person you are and the decisions you make really, really is pivotal to, to everything, I think. And, and actually, you know, just focusing on and reverse engineering your happiness is a really great place to start with any conversation and any guest. Um, and, and yeah, working around that is, is the best thing I think. Last question. So I kind of flip the script and I give you the question. What's one thing that you would want to know the answer to about anything? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I, I think how how to sort of 
further relationship skills because I think relationship skills transcend and you know always sort of thought of myself as a personable person and, and have some great relationships and I think you know understanding how to also manage you know very driven people um in different scenarios I think something I learned at TK that was difficult was you know managing a remote team I found really difficult because I didn't have that same you know face interaction and, and and you know I'm someone who really cares about people's you know private lives and, and sort of really cares about that person in general and will do what I can to help them and you don't have that same level of relationship you know especially as you move up in the business world managing relationships and managing scenarios and and doing that at an expert level would be would be really cool um I that's awesome. Well, I just want to thank you for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. I'd like to give you the floor, plug everything you got right now. Yeah. And, you know, follow me on LinkedIn at Tim Hyde on all social channels, Tim Will Hyde, T-I-M-W-I-L-L-H-Y-D. Um, you know, thanks so much for having me, man. And I really hope we get to, you know, stay in contact and, and continue to speak. But it was a pleasure and, you know, keep it up with the podcast. I think you've had some amazing episodes. No, I really appreciate that. And if you're ever in the Ottawa area, definitely let me know if you're ever traveling out this way in Canada. I'd like to meet up in person one day. That'd be awesome. I know sometimes I head over to England. I got family in Leeds, so I'm over there every once in a while. But Amazing. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, man. And thank you to everybody that's listened to this episode, whether you've listened the entire way through or you've only listened to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you taking the time to check this out. Do me a favor, guys. Go follow Tim on LinkedIn. Follow him on Instagram and Twitter. I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at the Jacob Kelly. You can find the podcast on Instagram at, at my social pod and on YouTube at my social life. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.